If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is David Henderson. I serve as our student pastor here at Journey alongside my beautiful wife here in the front row, Stephanie, and our three awesome kids, one of whom uh, is Braden, who is in here with us this morning. Um, closing out the series, Courageous Today, and uh, I was thinking kind of this, you know, I don't want to like make anything about me, but I just kind of was thinking about that whole concept, right? Any uh, Atlanta Braves fans in here? Man, y'all need to wake up this morning. We got some caffeine out in the lobby or something? No, just uh, I just I was thinking about you know the whole the whole concept of closing. I was a big fan back in the, like the '90s, you know, when they were when they would get really really close and maybe not quite go all the way. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember or not when uh, bless you when uh, they moved uh, Smoltz to closer. I actually got to see him um, in one game where he came out to close, and when the Imperial March hit, and he the man walked with purpose out across the field, you just knew it was done, right? So don't, these don't, don't have those expectations of me this morning, but uh, <laughs> just, just a little, little, little bit of humor for you there. All right, let me, uh, let's just kind of cover quickly where we've been in this series. It's been, this is our sixth week, I believe. Um, so we kind of uh, hit our main points that we've talked about. Um, you've seen a, a variety of faces up here. Uh, I don't know about you guys, uh, hopefully you were here last week. I was definitely blessed by our friends from Kingdom Partners who were here. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to be a part of that, definitely go back. Um, one, if you haven't found us on Facebook, do that. If you'll like us, uh, Journey Church Chattanooga, if you like that page, you can keep up with all the videos. We have our sermons, uh, not just our sermons, but our services, just live, uh, live streamed every week, and those videos are saved. You can go back and watch that if you didn't get a chance to see it. It was an amazing, amazing testimony to get to hear uh, from our four friends that came and also just the conversation that Mark and Scott had with them in front of us, and with some of the interaction that we had, too. Um, before that, we started this series by looking at the, the, the term courage and courageous, and just this concept of facing our fears. And, and that's like all over our lives, right? There's all kinds of areas of our lives where we face fears. Um, so we talked a little bit about that. We talked after that about becoming a courageous congregation. And some of that is in where we go and the plans that we make and things like that. But others is, is how we live out as a congregation, as we rely on each other, as we fellowship with each other, and we build each other up to live out a life of courage in Christ. We also talked after that about um, having the courage to, to move, the courage to wait, and the courage to flee or to walk away. And sometimes that latter part, we don't think of that as being very courageous, but it, it demonstrates you have to take initiative sometimes to walk away from a situation. It's not always out of fear. Sometimes it's taking the higher road, right? It takes courage. Because the world around us doesn't often want to do that. We talked a little bit. Uh, we had Paul up here. Uh, I don't know if you guys have gotten to know uh, the Shriner family. I've gotten to know Paul a little bit. Um, and we've gotten to know some, their sons a little bit. Great, great family. And I hope you guys get a chance to, to know them better. Uh, but he uh, shared with us talking about the courage to heal being in a place of brokenness, um, and just having that courage to find healing in that, being in that place in your lives. And sometimes we're not just there once and we get out of that, right? There can be peaks and valleys with the way that that can go. And then last week, obviously, we talked a little bit about with our friends about rebuilding and forgiveness and this, re- this, this concept of reconciliation. And um, obviously, there was the, the obvious discussion of, of, of racial issues that we still find ourselves in. Um, but obviously the overall goal is, is, in our context, is we want to see that 
uh, that reconciliation in our community in Chattanooga. And so that's something, obviously, that we're working towards and being, just realizing we're a part of that bigger picture with that. Well, I want to take you guys today to kind of wrap things up. We're going to talk about um, having the courage to stand firm and specifically through the face of persecution. Okay, and we'll get into kind of what the, the latter looks like as we get towards the end. But I want to go ahead and get into Scripture. If you guys are up in your Bibles or take out your uh, electronic devices for this, we're going to start out in Philippians 1 this morning. Now, to our first, uh, first thing we're going to hit on, to be truly courageous, we will come to places in our lives where we must stand firm and not back down. The strength of our relationship with Christ will determine the firmness of our foundation. We will realize courage as we embrace and walk in the freedom that Christ offers. And I hope you guys see that today. By the way, I'm going to try to stay honest on time. I have my nice clock up here. I do this in youth group too. I don't always stick to it, but I try. None of y'all say amen to that. All right, so let's get, uh, we're going to jump right into Philippians 1. This is uh, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read it. You guys can follow along, okay? Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Now, if you know this text at all, you know this is Paul talking, and obviously he's, he is in prison at this point um, in one of the many journeys that he has gone on. He points his imprisonment and the result of it to others knowing Christ. And what I want you to kind of recognize in this passage, this small number of verses here, is that he is, he's emphasizing the pointing people to Christ. He's not really like, He's not really stressing the, the negative of his situation, if you guys are catching that. The bigger concern is that Christ is glorified and that Christ is known. We're going to kind of dive into a few different points with this and kind of what this looks like, um, this whole concept of standing firm and, and what persecution looks like. But one thing I want to kind of point out as we get started with this is that the, especially in the New Testament, a lot of what Paul writes to the churches, there's this huge, huge emphasis on freedom and Christ setting us free. And we're going to look at some passages of that this morning to, to really illustrate that point. But with that, if we embrace the message of the gospel, then we embrace that freedom. I think the inverse of that is true in that if we reject the gospel message, we are thereby rejecting the freedom that comes from it. And the rejection of freedom equals the embrace of an oppressor. Now, what does that mean? Let's kind of unpack that a little bit. If you go to Galatians 5, it says in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is verse 1. Now, we, we live our lives every day with this kind of give and take mindset, right? Like, and what I mean by that is um, to have one of those, you have to have the other. The gospel emphasizes being givers, being generous givers. And it doesn't mean, yes, it means money, but it doesn't just mean that. It means our time. It means, you know, opening up our homes maybe to, so, to others can come in and share the things that we've been blessed with. We are to be givers, not with condition that we have something in return. Now, that's nice. I mean, we're people and we like that, right? But that's not what he's getting at, that we should be giving. Well, the, the human mind is that we, we should be able to give and we should be able to receive and 
Obviously, we are blessed to receive. The scripture very, very well clear. It speaks to that. But we shouldn't give with expectation of something in return. We should just give. But we have this mindset that we must have one if the other is to happen. The gospel reminds us that things don't work this way in the kingdom of God. God gives generously. And he, it's not that he doesn't want us. He hopes that we love him in return, but there's nothing we can do. This is, this is the thing where Jesus works and we can't possibly repay that, can we? So there's nothing we can do. And so we can't, he doesn't want us to focus on this, this idea of reciprocating in order to be in good favor or good or not good favor, but to be in a good, a good terms with him. But just to focus on being like him, which is having that giving mindset, that giving mentality, right? And so that's, that's what part of the freedom that we have in Christ is that he sets us free from this mindset of, of having to work and, and, and live and exist in this system where we give and we receive. And it's, it's always about reciprocation. It's not always like that. Okay. Now, the oppressor, I want you guys to understand, the, the oppressor is not necessarily a person. And it's very, very easy to go there in our society today. All right. And it's not just in America. It's across the world. And we'll get into some of that as we talk about persecution here in just a little bit. But the oppressor is not necessarily a person. Rather, it is choosing to remain enslaved to this mindset from which Christ's death and resurrection provides, provides explicit freedom. What I mean by that is this. It's if we don't take the time to really focus on the freedom that we have in Christ, we're going to exist in this mindset of we have to be good enough and we have to like we have to do this thing because it's expected. God's not expecting us to do anything in terms of that. He wants us to love his son. He wants us to receive the good news of the gospel and and he wants our love, don't get me wrong, but he's not expecting us to do anything in order to be in good standing with him, okay? That's where the freedom that the gospel offers is coming in. Let's let's pick up a little more in Galatians 5. This is verse 13 and 14. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard that a few times, right? Pretty familiar with that concept. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Just to kind of talk about that, what, some of what that means is we, we look elsewhere in Scripture and it talks about, you know, we have this freedom in Christ and God gives us grace that covers our sin. And there's this misinterpretation that maybe, you know, if we, God's grace is great because it covers all of our sin. Well, hypothetically, and we could go there if we're not careful, if our sin is so great and if we continue to contribute to that, does that not make his grace look greater? And Scripture tells us, no, that's not the way we need to be thinking about this. His grace covers all, yes, but we're not supposed to keep sinning just to make it look better. Does that make sense? So that's what he's talking about here in in this passage is not to use that freedom as a license for sin, therefore evil, but to use it in in a way to serve God. And part of that is being, there's the freedom from the, the legality of what the Old Testament law was and having to do these different things. The point of that was not to get people necessarily to please God, but rather to show that they needed God in the first place, right? 
It took him a while to get that. And sometimes it takes us a while to understand that as well. But that is the point. And what Jesus is trying to tell us and what Paul and Peter teach us here is that there is freedom in the gospel. And that is what we should embrace. So again, to that first point, if if we reject the gospel message, we are also rejecting the freedom that comes with it. I hope you will see that that's not what we should, should be doing. Second thing I kind of want to talk about with, with you guys is this idea of gospel opposition, and that is simply this. Wherever the gospel is taught or it is at work, the enemy will oppose. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you look at, it's hard to see, like, if you're, if you're looking to um, what's communicated in mainstream media as an idea of what's going on here, you're probably not going to see that. You're going to have to work a little harder to see what's going on in, in the Christian worldview and perspective uh, within the church. And there are, there are resources to do that. But some of the examples that we may become aware of where it seems like the enemy is in opposition, not seems like, but he is in opposition of the gospel's work is when we see, uh, I'll give you a list of some examples here. I think I've got them on the slide. Yeah, there we go. Um, churches that are closing their doors. Could be financial situations, whatever. Um, but that, that is, a, there is, in one case, it's, it's a sad thing to see churches cease to be as that congregation that they were. But hopefully those people do get pushed into different, um, different places where they still are serving the Lord, and they are jumping in with the church at a, at a larger scale. Uh, we see governmental oppression of the church, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean here, but I'm talking about in a, in a global view. We see in other countries where it, it is basically illegal to be a Christian, for me to have this book out and to share with other people. It is against the law of these nations, and they will prosecute. They will, whatever that looks like. We don't, you're not going to see the same kind of prosecution in other countries that you might have the, the whole judicial system we have here in America, because we, you know, we have, we're, we have rights, we're given rights to trials and things like that. That doesn't exist elsewhere. These people are thrown into prison and their fate is not necessarily certain that they will, they will be released. Um, on a personal level, uh, fear about having gospel conversations. It's, it's tough to talk about Jesus, right? And I don't know about you guys, like if, um, if you have a comfort level of being in front of people, which by the way, like probably about eight, I think eight years ago was the first time anybody ever put my bug in, the ear, in my ear about being like a, a youth pastor. Because before that point, I never would have, I was like, that was nowhere on my radar. And certainly being up here in front of you guys was nowhere on my radar either. Um, but there, that, it's, it, it's awesome how God works in those ways where he, he shows you things you don't expect. But where I'm going with this is, you know, it's, it's tough because what we fear rejection, right? We fear this, they're not going to like me. Or if you're close, if you have a friendship with them that's not necessarily based on faith, you fear they're going to think differently of you. And while, and we'll talk about this and what scripture says in a minute about it, but you don't want to lose that friendship, right? And so that we, we withhold sometimes and it's, it can be a scary thing, especially if you're a young believer to have those conversations with those that you love and, and you want to have those conversations because it's out of love bless you, that you want to show them who Jesus is and what he means to you. And by the way, let me say this really quick. I didn't have this in my notes, but oftentimes you're going to find when people ask you questions because they know you're a Christian, they're usually going to hit you with something about something we say, right? Like, well, you guys think this about whatever. I'm not going to go to examples right now, but 
what happens is they'll ask you a question about that. And because we have a stance on it, because we stand on the word of God, it's a turnoff for them. And they, the conversation doesn't continue, right? I would always, 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 because I've had multiple students ask questions about different issues. Tell people about who Jesus is to you first. You'll get to the issues, okay? Start there, then get, have that conversation first and, and open up and say, listen, if you really care what I have to say about the issue, give me the respect to, to share this first with you and then we can go there, okay? So just a little, that's free for you today if you're looking at how to have a conversation. Um, this, this one's hit me and this is why I mentioned it. Remembering that thing that you did years ago and reliving the guilt and you like, it allows you to cause... It causes you to question whether God's really forgiven you for it. Has anybody, anybody ever done something like that? Okay. That one's tough. And it's like, you know you're forgiven. And it could be like 12 years ago. But you still have this thing. That it just it brings this kind of guilt, right? And it's, it's tough to, to kind of push past it and go, well, God's, you know, he's forgiven me for that. And I need to move on. Um, and this is, applies to people in general, but certainly for us as believers, Christians succumbing to various temptations. And that looks, that's a wide array of things, right? Um, I do want to throw a text to you that speaks to this. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, and listen to the words, because I'm going to say what it just doesn't mean in a minute, because we've kind of, we've kind of twisted this one up. Uh, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Listen to the second part. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. We have turned that into God won't give you any more thing you can handle. Y'all have heard that, right? That's not true. And I'm going to tell you why. Yes, he will, because you've got to rely on him, right? So be very careful. And if you hear some of these things, Go to the Word and see what the Word actually says. Okay? Now, I would say God will give you the strength and give you the courage to move beyond whatever that is. But it's going to feel weighty, right? Before you can do that. So we see examples of opposition to the gospel at work. And that that causes us to kind of move to this mindset of starting to, to kind of envision and, and, and conceptualize persecution. That looks different for, for, for all of us, and we'll get to what those look like in a little bit. I want to lay before you now some promises, uh, some gospel promises that we see in Scripture. Um, and we're just, I'm just going to hit through these, and we're going to read through them together. If you've got you version, um, if you don't have it, A, go get it, because it's a very, very good tool, A, to keep connected with us in here, but B, to communicate, or not communicate, you can do that too, um, but connect with others in like Bible reading plans and all kinds of good stuff. We use it in our student ministry and it's been, it's been a really, really good tool. But you can save the notes is where I was going uh, if you want to keep these references for today. So let's just go down through them. In Romans 8, 28, a lot of us are familiar with this one. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God will use your stuff for his good and because he loves you for your good as well. It's hard to see that sometimes, but it's true. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16, therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You go to the Psalms, and one, Psalms 121, it says this, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your, your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. It's verses 1 through 8. I actually think that's the whole psalm if I remember correctly. In Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 it says this, The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. Stop for a minute. We go through stuff and it's hard and it stinks. But God delights in us. Let that be an encouragement to you guys today. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And to cap off, and I honestly did not know that Tracy and I were going to hit the same uh, passage today, but to cap these promises off, we're going we're to go back to the scripture that she read. 2 Corinthians 12.9-10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's a tough pill to swallow, but be encouraged by it. There is strength through our weakness. Realistically and practically, we don't see that now when we're in the mess, when our weaknesses are apparent, but strength comes from it, right? You think about where, and this is, this is more aimed at people and people where, it's, it's, it's where Scripture talks about how iron sharpens iron and we, we build each other up. Something greater comes from that, right? Like we grow to a place. That's how, that's how God works through our weaknesses too. Okay, so I want to encourage you guys, if you find yourself in a place today and you're, you're dealing with something, and if, especially if it's, if it's a, this idea of persecution and having to stand firm against it, know that God's working through that. And he's working with that to bring you to something better than where you are now. I want to take some time this morning to talk about our foundation. To talk about our, I'm, gonna, I'm calling this our gospel foundation. A verse, I heard this, I mean, I've read it before, but I heard a, a sermon on it. Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 5, it says this. This is Paul speaking to Corinth. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail the test? I'll tell you why this spoke to me. So a lot of times, like... We'll have, we'll go to camp, and I'm, I'm speaking student ministry context, so y'all hang with me for a minute. Um, we'll go and we'll have these big, you know, these, these, these worship services, and it's real hyped up, and there's energy and all this stuff. And then we'll have the moments where we have a real hard message, and then we'll have that altar call, right? And it's emotional, and you have response, and it's, 
you know, you can kind of, where I'm going with this is you can pinpoint that moment, whether it's the moment you, you receive Christ for the first time, or if it's a rededication, whatever you want to call that. But you can pinpoint a moment. I heard a guy talk about this verse, and, and this is so true. When you're thinking about your walk and where you are, it's okay to look back at moments and like, like I can tell you, I can tell you right now the day I got baptized because it was, this, it was the same day four years prior to the day that Stephanie and I got married. But I need to know where I'm at right now. Okay. And I think this is, especially when I heard this, this, this sermon with this scripture, this really resonated with me and how I have conversations and, and offer, hopefully offer, hopefully good counsel to our students. But um, you know, where are you right now? Like, don't, don't just like, well, I did this thing or I got baptized or I got, you know, whatever. But where are you now? Where is your foundation now? What does that look like for you as you think about the possibility of having to stand through tough stuff? And it's not just about, you know, you getting through the mess, but rather what is God doing with that? Where is it now? I think Paul is telling the church, constantly examine where you are Examine the relationship. We've heard that phrase before, right? Examine that relationship and make adjustments where you feel like you need to. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to throw a question out. And this is, this is not meant to be rhetorical, but I do want you to ponder it. Do you have a firm foundation? And you know the answer to that. I mean, we could, we could talk about that in this, in here this morning, but do you, do you have a firm foundation? I'm going to throw a few scenarios you this morning and give what I what I feel are some good things to 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 do along with those. If you do remain fixed, how do you do that? Pray often. You want to have a, and this is not just about like oh I prayed today so I'm good. No, are you conversing with God regularly? And it doesn't have to be this like you know the same words all the time. So we, we look at scripture and it talks about how the Pharisees were really known by their words. They wanted to sound, they cared about how people around them heard them pray. Don't, just have an open on conversation with them. An open and honest conversation. If your day stinks, tell them your day stinks and tell them why. And ask him, why am I dealing with this? And, and just lay that out there for him. And that's okay. Students and adults in this room, that is okay to be like that. God's our father. We're, we're, we're supposed to be open and honest with him about things. And hopefully he'll show us, maybe not now, but at some point, why things maybe are the way they are, the way they are for us right now. With that, pray often. I would encourage you to pray for the truly persecuted with intention. So here's where I'm going with this. I don't want to, and we'll, we'll, go to, we'll get to this point in a minute, but I want to go ahead and hit it while we're here. When we talk about the concept of persecution, a lot of times my mind, and I don't know about yours, I go to what we saw in Scripture with what the disciples were dealing with and kind of where we see that, what that looks like in other parts of the world where you see people who are losing their lives, who are being arrested, families are separated, whatever. The church is all maybe underground with nobody knowing about it because it's not a legal thing. That to me is what, when I hear the word persecution, that's what I think of. But I don't want to belittle where anybody in this room might be, okay? Whether that's a social persecution where you have friends in your circle who are not believers. Maybe you're at, a, at a, an early stage in your walk 
and you're not really sure how to navigate that, I don't, I'm not trying to belittle your situation and act like it doesn't matter. So don't, don't hear that from what we're saying this morning because it does look different for all of us. But as the church, the overall church of which we are a small part as, as Journey Church, we should be praying for the, the full body of Christ. And when others are persecuted and are, you know, like the things I just described, you know, families torn, um, people killed, you know, whatever, we need to feel that. And it's hard to because we, have, we live in this comfort, right? Most of us do. Um, and by and large, no matter where we are in this room right now, I think comparing your, your situation maybe to others in other parts of the world, it still looks like comfort probably, Okay. So it's hard for us to envision that, but we need to be sensitive to the needs of other brothers and sisters that maybe we don't even know. But pray and pray with intention. Secondly, get into the Word and let the Word get into you. And I don't know if you've heard that package that way before. We probably have. Um, spend time. And this is not this is not one of those things where it's like, I'll read my Bible today, I'm good. Like I So... And I shared this with our students just because I thought it was kind of cool. But I got kind of obsessed about this this U version. It's got like this uh, this streak um, where like for every consecutive day you're in the app, it will tell you. And um, and so if you miss a day, and we are all going to miss a day, right? You start back to zero, and it's like okay. Um, but to be in case you didn't know this, it's just whether you open the app or not. You don't know if he's reading scripture or not. So. <laughs> Don't build yourself up too much because you had 200 straight days where you opened up version and then it closed out of it, okay? So, but I, I will say this, though. Things like that, they're helpful. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's good because it helps to get you, this is what I recommend to our students. Get to the point, when it comes to developing a discipline or a habit, when it comes to scripture reading, get to the point where when you miss the time and you will miss your day or whatever, you know you missed it. Because if you're not that far in, you'll miss a day and it won't be a big deal, right? Get to that point where when that day went by, don't beat yourself up over it. But just recognize that it didn't happen. Get back on the horse the next day and, and keep on reading, okay? Whatever, whatever that looks like for you. If it's just reading through the Word, if it's a reading plan, whatever. But get into the Word regularly and let it get into you. What I mean by that is, don't just, like James says... Don't be a hearer or a reader of the word and not do what it says. You got to do what it says, right? That's the word getting into you. Or there, we have a lot of, we don't do this a whole lot here at Journey, um, but there are a lot of maybe some younger programs that maybe you guys are aware of where, there, where scripture memorization is, is kind of a big deal. Um, don't do it just to say, oh, I memorized 50 verses, you know, but, but do spend some time, you know, memorizing and, and putting, that's what, when it talks about God, you know, hiding God's word in your heart, that's what that is. And be able to draw on that later on when you've, when you've taken it all in. But let it get into you. Thirdly, I would say this. Get around other believers intentionally and often. And have faith-driven conversations. One easy way to do that, and I know we're, I'm telling you this now, we're about to you know, break for Christmas. Um, so we, we have, uh, yeah, there you go. That just means you're going to be home for two and a half weeks. And we'll come home, and there'll be video games to be played, right, buddy? He's looking at me like, oh, put, Dad put me on the spot. Um, we, we have a lot of people involved in, in our small groups here at Journey. Um, and even if it's not like a formal connection with a group, get to know somebody here that you don't know 
and spend some time with them. Go out to lunch after church today or next week. But spend time, spend intentional time with other believers. Here's, we as the church are supposed to have people that we are friends with that are not believers as well, right? But the healthy place to be is when you have your most influential ones, they are believers. You spend more time with them and you confide in them more and you allow them to influence you more than you would others. Mark, he did, I don't think he gave us an illustration, but I kind of got it when he said it. This was years and years ago. He talked about kind of uh, when you have your, your friendships, you have these existing circles that kind of go out and your, your closest friends are in that inner circle, right? And then you have other ones where you're like your friends, but you're maybe only so close and they're kind of out just a little bit further. And it's about levels of influence, not that you don't care about them as much as you do the other ones, but you put them in a certain place where you only allow their influence to be so much. But in this, I would encourage you, get around other believers intentionally and do so often. And when I say have faith-driven conversations, talk about how are you growing? What do you see in Scripture as you're reading and hopefully developing that habit You know, in your reading plans or whatever that looks like? Talk about those things. They matter. And as you're talking with somebody, give a good listening ear so you're taking in what they are sharing as well. So that way it's a two-way, it's a two-way conversation, right? So again, if you have that firm foundation, if you know you do, pray often, get into the Word, get around other believers, fellowship. If you don't, have a firm foundation, if you are at a place where you genuinely realize that is not the case and you know you're standing on seeking sand, let's talk today. And it can be me. You can come down here and play with Tracy or anybody else that might be down here. Um, You can call us, you can text us, you know, whatever. But if you're at that place where you know that 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 foundation is not firm, and if you are examining that relationship and it's not there or it's not healthy, don't ignore that. We'll talk about some more stuff in a minute as to why it's important not to ignore and why we're presented with things that we can't. But don't put off having that conversation if you're at the point of realizing that you're only on sinking sand and the firm, the, that firmness is not there. Please. I, and this is not necessarily an altar call, but just don't, don't let that go unchecked. As you do that, I'm going to throw a few points out here for you too. Okay? Be totally honest about why you are where you are. You could have given your life to Christ and been obedient in baptism, and now you're at a place of doubt. Let me tell you all something. That's, that's okay. okay. And I don't want you to hang there, but it's okay. We should question these things. Listen, Somebody dying and coming back to life. And when we say that he, we look at scripture and it says he took his life back. That's a big deal. Okay. You can't just like, we live in, hopefully some of us grew up, grew up in Christian homes and some of us didn't, but hopefully there's an influence of that. You, you're around people and they kind of influence you with this. And hopefully you're walking in that. But at some point, younger people or adults, you've got to walk in that yourself. Where do you stand? And that's why I think Paul's talking to the church and saying, you've got to examine to see if you're in the faith or not. But you've got to look at that. What do you feel? What does, how does your mind process 
Jesus dying and being resurrected? Have you really stopped to consider that and consider the weight of that and how big a deal that is? Because when we lose loved ones and we go to funerals, I'm not trying to stir up emotions here, but we know the reality. They're, death is it when it comes to our earthly existence, right? Like we're, we're not realistically expecting to see somebody out of the grave days later, are we? It's kind of a big deal, I think, if you're examining exactly where you are and, and how, you, how you process that. But be honest about where you're at. It's okay. Don't you know, have, be willing to have the conversation with somebody and be willing to be as, as transparent as you can be. I know you have to develop trust with people before you can kind of go there, right? And that's okay. That's okay. You don't want to just find a stranger in the room and be like, let me just tell you everything and why I'm where I'm at. You know, it's going to be somebody you're close-ish with that will listen and you're willing to open up to, okay? But be willing to have that. And if you're the other person, be a good listener. Some of what the church as a whole, um, I, I think this is from, you know, historically kind of the way we've been perceived and even today, if we'd have been better listeners to perspectives, probably we wouldn't have so many against Christianity. Y'all think that's fair? Yeah, I think so. That doesn't mean you accept everything that's laid before you. It doesn't mean that you agree with everything. But you can still listen. You can still have a conversation. But when I, and I, I put this out there because what we don't, we don't want to expect somebody to be at this place where we're at. That's kind of, that's, that's where we've kind of messed stuff up. And even whether you're, if you're a teacher in the church or in the classroom or whatever, it's frustrating when you're, you're trying to bring somebody's level of understanding to where yours is. And when there's that gap and it stays a gap for a long time, it's like, oh, you're never going to get this. And that's where we get frustrated. Um, but be patient. Be patient with people and just, just listen and let them know what they have to say is important. Okay? If you're not sure if you have this firm foundation we're talking about or not, I urge you to consider the evidence and the consistency of Scripture. Put this out there for this reason. A, it's very easy to go, well, and, and this is, you know, we have different skeptics. Um, and, and by all means, you know, it's a, be critical of what you're reading, but, but don't just like, hang, don't leave it there. Go and figure out why you feel the way you do. But there's all kinds of those that are outside the church looking at being very, uh, very skeptical of Scripture and very um, critical, maybe. I don't know if that's the best word that I'm looking for or not. But there's the claim that, that you know, that the Bible contradicts itself. Well, okay. Let's talk about where that is. Don't just like leave that statement out there and not do anything with it, okay? There are going to be areas when you look at them, and they may appear to do that, but if you look at the entirety, there's consistency there that may not be as apparent if you just leave it at face value. hope that makes sense to you guys. You've got to dig. You've got to, if it means enough, you've got to dig. There is, believe it or not, there's evidence. If you've been around Journey for a while, we've talked about this. There is evidence for what we believe and what we see. I'm just going to put a few things out there for you. You really would need to dig more into this yourself to see where this is. But you don't see like a lot of our kids, and I know we, we learned this growing up that, you know, about scientifically testing things, you know, the scientific method and how you're, you know, how you validate what, what's reality, I guess. Um, 
it doesn't look exactly the same when something is thousands of years prior. You can't do that the exact same way. Now, yes, there's the whole, there's carbon dating and yada, yada, and all these other things. And we do rely on the expertise of scientists in their fields to do some of that. But you have to look at other ways of, of validating some of those things as well. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in terms of original copies of manuscripts in the New Testament, there's somewhere around 5,700 that have been discovered. And that number is not, that's why I said some, something around or approximately. Uh, the exact number is not that, but it's very, very close. You know, after that, the, the work from the ancient world that has, I think it's 643 original manuscripts was uh, the Iliad by Homer. After that, it gets significantly less, like maybe double digits, okay? Y'all, we're talking thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament. And a couple of other things. When examining the work of, of looking at the structure and the wording of, of one text and comparing it, this work's been undertaken. I'm not expecting you to go do that yourself. But did you know that the textual corruption of the New Testament, what that means, textual corruption is this. When you have things that don't seem to, like it's not exactly the same, and it's really easy for us to go there because like, I've got a Christian standard Bible up here and some of y'all got ESV and King James and we try to compare those. That's, don't do that. I'm talking about the original manuscripts that have been discovered, okay? Don't go to King James and then ESV and freak out because the words aren't the same. They're always going to be different because they're, they're just different. But the idea obviously is the same. I'm talking about the original stuff. The textual corruption for the New Testament has the smallest percentage of any book from the ancient world. Less than half a percent. With the Iliad that I spoke about, it was something like 5%, I think, which is pretty, it's still pretty significant. So to say that it's 95% accurate, but we're talking about 95% of 643 works. And if you take 99.5% of 5,700 works, that's kind of a big deal, I think, right? So there's, and think about this, there's accuracy in handwritten copying. We're not doing computers and printing and all this stuff yet. You guys know that. But that's a big deal because we know we're people. We're going to have a slip of the pen or something, right? And that's going to contribute to that error that we talked about. The other big thing, too, that we don't find in other, in other ancient works, but also in other literary works that are parts of other worldviews like Islam and Hinduism and others, Consider the timing of these manuscripts when they were written to the actual timing of the events they describe. We are within decades, guys, of some of the New Testament and what they described. The resurrection, the missionary journeys by Paul, all of those. Decades. Other works are so much further removed from that, it's not even funny. And I know I don't have all those numbers for you here, and that's not the point. That could be a, a, a lesson and message in itself. But there is evidence, you all, for what we cling to. Why we make Scripture the big deal that it is. And ultimately, I would say this. We talked about the enemy being at work against the gospel. Guys, if, if this thing was going to fall, all of the stuff that has happened to this point, burning of books and all that, this thing would be gone by now if God wasn't behind it. Okay? The very fact that, this, that the Scripture has survived the way that it has is all God. 
So if there was any efforts that were going to be successful to, to remove it from our world by now, it would have already happened, I think. All right, we got a little more, little more time. I'm at 45 minutes. I'm going to get you guys out of here. Last thing I want to talk about, how do we process persecution? Well, the first thing I would say is know that it's coming. And Jesus warned us of this. Jesus specifically told us, if you go to Mark 13, it says this. This is verses 9 through 13. But you be on your guard. They will hand you over to the local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. But you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He told us it was coming, y'all. And we're seeing it. So we, it shouldn't be a huge shocker when we see these things dealt with. And I think the awesome thing is, I think about like the efforts, um, and this is not to pick at specific people groups or anything like that, but some of the more, the, the fresher examples are like what's gone with ISIS and those things. And these, these, these groups that have been spe- specifically killed. And I hope that none of y'all have seen those videos that have circulated. Hopefully those have been taken away. Because that's, that's, that's a very gruesome concept to think that somebody would film beheadings and things like that. But some of what is said of some of these, these people, in their dying moments, they were singing praises to God. That's amazing. Those are the things that we can stand on and the reason that we have despite the persecution we deal with. Like other aspects, I talked about this a little while ago, like other aspects of our lives and our faith walks, persecution looks different for just about all of us. I want to say that because I don't want to, say, I don't want to act like one type of like stuff that we deal with is like the only way that we're persecuted. You may deal with something that's different than your neighbor next to you. And, it, and in your moment, it might feel like persecution to you. Okay? I want to tell all of you that Jesus does give you the strength. He'll use that. And that's the hard part is to try to say, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but you're doing something. That's what I want to encourage all of y'all with today. God's do, he's going to do something with that. He will not waste your experiences, but will make you stronger through them. But it does look different for all of us. Persecution, this is the third point. Persecution shouldn't only be felt at the individual level, but we should feel it and respond at it or to it at a C level. What I mean by that is capital C church, right? That's what I was talking about. Um, scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is where Paul's giving us the illustration of the body of Christ and how we are, a, we are one member of many and that we should feel what other members feel. So when, we re- when other members rejoice, we're happy for them. We're not jealous. We're not mad because they got something we didn't. We, rejo- we rejoice with them. When they hurt, we hurt too. Sometimes we don't feel the pain, but we can lift them up in prayer, right? That's what we should be sensitive to. There are a couple, I'm going to give you guys a couple of things really quick. Um, I talked a little while ago about you kind of, to be aware of what's going on in the church and other parts of the church in the world, 
Like, it's not really made readily available to us unless we're looking for it, because mainstream media really doesn't communicate that. Like, we might see that a church burned down or something like that, right? Um, but we, we're not hearing on Channel 3 or 12 or whatever, you know, of what's going on with somebody, you know, a pastor in China or something like that. Um, you have to seek these things out to be informed. Um, I utilize a, a prayer app, because I don't want to be one of those guys that's going to tell you I'm going to pray for you and then, like, not do it. You know what I'm saying? Y'all have never done that, right? So I have to keep a list in order to stay honest, right? So I use an app called Echo, and it's really, it's really cool. But also within that app, they've developed like this prayer community. And you can follow these uh, prayer feeds and kind of get prayer requests that come through. I don't know who these people are, but it's just really, really amazing to know that there's this connection with other believers in other parts of the world praying for common things. The other thing that I use, and I've shared this with our students a little bit, is an app called Open Doors, and it specifically will post when when um, when something occurs and there's a prayer need globally in the church. Somebody will usually write about it. It could be something in Africa, something in Asia, you know, whatever. Something we're not going to hear about just on our mainstream news, but it, it lets you know as as much detail as it can. You know, if somebody needs prayer for whatever reason, or somebody's been arrested, or whatever, um, for sharing the gospel. So that way you can lift somebody up and encourage and strengthen them. That is what I'm talking about, what we should be doing as the church when one member should feel what the other members feel. That's what some of that looks like. So I highly encourage that for you guys. Our focus in the midst, even in the midst of persecution, should be to honor God and to give Him the glory. The more we mature... I think I might have messed up my notes there, and if I did, I'm sorry. Uh, the more we mature, uh, the more mature we become about this. I did say it right. Sorry, uh, our ability to stay strong during persecution grows as well. So, if you're a young believer, this is a little harder to to kind of get your arms around. But when you grow, when you spend time in the Word, when you spend time praying for those who are persecuted, when you've spent time around other believers and you you hear other experiences that they're dealing with that maybe you don't, you become more sensitive to the needs of others. And it becomes second nature for you to lift people up in prayer. So your maturity is going to bring about this sensitivity and this strength as persecution grows, both for other people and for yourself. Because when you're dealing with something hard, your, your instinct is, I want to get out of this, right? Like, I don't want to feel this pain. or I don't want to deal with this stuff. Maturity is going to take you to a place of, God, you're doing something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to trust you. Okay, that's that's where we want to get to. We need to be giving God the glory throughout all of our, even in our trials. A couple of scriptures that kind of relate to this, and we're going to wrap things up on these. I promise. In Galatians 1, he says, For I am now trying to, for am I now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? For if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If we're truly serving Jesus, we're putting Him first. We care about others, but Jesus is who we're concerned with the most. Hebrews 13, it says, Therefore we may, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can the words of men do to me if I'm not worried about that, if I have no fear, if I 
believe the freedom and live in the freedom that the gospel truly offers. What can men do to me? What can men, not just men, men and women, people, can't do anything, can they? Ultimately, it's a sting a little bit. But it's nothing more than the sting in the grand scheme of things, right? Let's um, kind of land on this point and we'll, we'll, let's pray together. Once the sting of persecution is lost, we can have the courage to stand firm. And in Christ, sting will cease and we will have courage through Him. You can call this, I'm not really meaning to call this an also crawl, you can call it what you want to. I want you to think about what was said earlier, examining where you're at, examining the relationship that you have or don't have, and weigh that out in your life today. Where are you? Why are you where you are? Have that conversation with somebody if you need to. And even if you are on that firm foundation, tomorrow may not feel like that. Like I said, pray often, be in the Word. Get around other believers. Let others build you up and walk with you in things. You were not meant, there's a reason why God made us relational creatures, you guys. We're not meant to live this life alone. We're not meant to grow in faith alone either. So I hope as we finish up this, this series that you see where this, this, this concept of being courageous is truly, truly a big deal when it comes to our faith walk and not just our individual walks, but in the walk in the life of the church. I'm really excited, and I hope you guys are as well, um, for where things are headed here with Journey. Um, I'm always pumped up about what we're doing in student ministry, and that's just, obviously that's where Steph and I kind of live the most. Um, but this is an amazing church family. And if you guys have not, if y'all have visited a few times or you haven't really connected with anybody yet, um, I hope that those connections start to happen. And I start, I, the only thing I can tell you with that is I can tell you how awesome it is, but I hope you see that for yourself. And just know that this is... This is a body that, that truly tries to follow Jesus, try to live this out, and we try to do a lot of the things that we talked about this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are just grateful that we had this place to be, that we had this place to gather together. We are thankful for your faithfulness to love us, to encourage us, to help us to grow even in times where we feel like that growth may or may not be happening. Lord, we ask that you be with us in our, in our trials. Help us to trust you. Help us not just to trust you for our own things, but for the, the things that others deal with as well. And God, help us to be sensitive as a member, as individual members of the body of Christ to the needs of others. Help us to be strong in our prayer lives with you, and our communication with you. Help that to be authentic, not to be fake. And help us on an individual level just for it to be important, to impress upon our hearts the need to connect with you daily and often. And God, I ask that you give this, this congregation just a, a fire for your word, to be in your word, to learn it, not for the sake of knowing something new, but to know what you want for us and how you want your people to be and to, to interact and what you want our relationship, what you hope our relationship with you will be like. And God, may you help us do, to prioritize our time to where we are around each other often and where we welcome you into our community. 
where we ask your spirit to be present with us. Um, and we just enjoy that time of community with you and with each other. God, I pray that you, as we go forward as a, a congregation that is striving to be courageous, I pray, Lord, that we will not fear, whether it comes to where we will meet each week, whether it comes to our place in the, the church in Chattanooga and what we're doing to impact the community. I pray that we would, we would not walk in fear, but we would walk in the power and strength and courage that, um, that your word tells us that we have as believers. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you forgive us where we fail you. We ask it all in your name. Amen.